We are in this series going through the life of Jesus leading to Easter. You want some crazy news? It is 14 weeks until Easter Sunday. Isn't that crazy? Um, that gives me hope because I know there's times where I can wear short sleeves around that time of year. And like, um, it, it's just really exciting. But 14 weeks is really fast. So we're going to be going through the life of Jesus leading up to Easter. And my plan was to go through the book of Luke. But as I was developing this series, I was like, nope, I'm going to be just chronologically going through. And we're going to be moving around. So today we aren't going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to be actually in the book of Matthew. But uh, when I was uh, little, I used to ride in the car with my dad, and we would listen to especially AM radio, talk radio, things like that. And there was a guy that had a show, and his name was Paul Harvey. Is anybody familiar with Paul Harvey? And, and he would tell this anecdote, this story, and, he would, and it would always have a twist at the end, you know? And it was like, and that was Shamu's brother. And you're like, oh! And then he'd end it with, and now you know the rest of the story, Right? I'm glad other people are at least my, my age. That's good. Well, um, so, so I always enjoyed listening to Paul Harvey. Today we're going to be talking about the rest of the story, the rest of the Christmas story that's often overlooked or kind of left out. We give the wise men a lot of cred that actually they were late to the party. They weren't there right uh, in, in, when Jesus was in the manger and things like that. But this happens right after. So, so Mary and Joseph... Um, have baby Jesus, and actually after that, they take him into Jerusalem. Jerusalem's only about six miles away from Bethlehem, and they present him at the temple, as they are told to by the law, and, and Jesus is blessed there, and then they come back, and they live in Bethlehem, actually, for a while. Remember, Joseph is from Nazareth, which is a long ways away, but they decide to settle in Bethlehem, where they had Jesus, and so they've made a home there, they live there, and that's where the wise men come and visit Jesus, and Mary and Joseph, and they bring their gifts, and of course, on their way through, though, to, Naz- to, to uh, Bethlehem, they stop in Jerusalem, and they talk to Herod, and they tell Herod about how they're looking for this new king, and Herod's thrilled, he's really excited, and uh, and, and they tell him we're, we're going to fi- find him. And they go find Jesus. And they give him their, gold, their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this is where our story picks up. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Starting in verse 13. So it says this. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So you want to talk about a post-Christmas letdown. Um, Like, for me, it's like the bare tree, the food is all gone from the table. That's a post-Christmas letdown. Their post-Christmas letdown was, uh, yeah, the government's trying to kill your baby. That's a, that's a big letdown. That's kind of concerning. Because the, if the king says it, sometimes I read the story and I'm like, there's a particular guy that really has it out for Jesus. But that particular guy controlled the military. He controlled all the power. And so the powers that be were hunting for Jesus. What a terrifying thing. And so this is what, where it continues on. So it says, so that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he, when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the royal prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted. 
for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. So, this is a story that's traditionally called the flight to Egypt. And uh, as I was reading this, I was thinking it's a really good thing that they weren't taking Southwest Airlines for that flight to Egypt. Because it... <laughs> that's as good as the jokes are going to get today, honestly. So zing, right there. That's the... If you're hoping for better, I'm sorry. It was... So they, they have this, this flight to Egypt. And I love this story because God is playing 4D chess while the, while the enemy is trying to kill Jesus right from the very beginning. Satan wanted to squash what Jesus was going to do, what God was doing through his son right away from the, from the get-go, right? We know about the other times through the temptation in the desert and, and through, through the actual sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But, but Satan wanted to eliminate Jesus from the get-go. And we see God, big brain stuff going on here, going, I was thinking four steps ahead of you. And he sends Joseph and the family down to Egypt. And, uh, and, and something, this section really focuses on a character that really doesn't get a whole lot of ink in the Gospels. He doesn't get much reference and we don't really know what happens kind of after this point. But, uh, but Joseph is a really unique character. Um, you see, this angel shows up to Joseph in yet another dream. As a matter of fact, in that section we read, I think there were three or four dreams that the, that the angel shows up for. And uh, it just really tells us that the guy loves naps, apparently. I don't know. But the angel is showing up in a lot of dreams for Joseph. And there are two things that I noticed in this section about Joseph. And it was especially focused on the obedience of Joseph. The obedience of Joseph. You see, the first thing I saw was the immediacy of Joseph's obedience. It was immediate obedience. And if you look there in verse 14, it says, That night Joseph left for Egypt. In the middle of the night, he wakes everybody up and God says, move. And without question, Joseph pops out of bed without any delays. He grabs everybody. They, he doesn't say, well, let's wait till morning. The, the roads could be hazardous in the evening. Or, you know, I don't, the baby's on a sleep schedule finally. We can't do this. Let's just wait till morning. He immediately gets up and says, we need to obey God now. And there's an immediacy to his, his obedience. You see, this is something that sometimes we don't understand when it's in, in reference to obedience to God, but we think of it in our kids. And that is, delayed obedience is disobedience. If my kids, if I tell them to do something like, sure, dad, and they go right back to doing whatever they're doing, to me, that's disobedience, Right? In the same way, but we somehow give ourselves some, some grace there with God. We're like, God told me to do that, and I will get to that. <laughs> I will. I, I, but look at Joseph. He didn't say, I'll get to that in the morning. He didn't say, okay, God, well, let's talk about plan B as well. Um, he didn't say, uh, God, I'm going to need to have a real understanding of what you're asking me here. But rather, um, he, he immediately acted. You see, sitting still when God tells us to move is not neutrality. It's disobedience. I'm dropping some bombs here on our holiday Sunday. I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's no being Switzerland when God tells us to act. For some reason, um, uh, for some of you in this room, God's put something in your heart, a, a direction to go, and you have backburnered it. 
you've been pushing it off, you've been scooting it to the back, and you say, God, I'm not actively sinning, I'm just waiting, I'm just, I can't do it yet, but let me tell you, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. And a sin of commission is the sins we act on, right? It's when we lie, it's when we cheat, it's when we take something that's not ours. Those are things that we act on, but the sins of omission are when we are supposed to act and yet we don't. And we tend to give ourselves a whole lot more leniency on that, don't we? But you see, that sin is a committed action versus inaction. And, uh, and so we like to know what's going on, though, first. We like to say, God, I need to have an understanding of what you're doing here. Um, there was a, a, a woman by the name of Stella Adler. I had to look her up because I'm not that old. But uh, she was an actress and she, was a, an, a tr- she trained actors. And so she had this school. And once she had her, her classroom of, of uh, uh, actors, she said, I want you to act like chickens that just found out a nuclear bomb was going to be dropped on you. And, the chi- and, and everybody, all the actors in the room started frantically running around clucking and, 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 and flapping their feathers and just in a panic. But she noticed Marlon Brando sitting quietly in the corner pretending to lay an egg. And, and she went to Marlon Brando and she said, uh, what are you doing? There's a nuclear bomb about to drop. And, and to that, Marlon Brando responded, he said... Why should that matter to me? I'm a chicken. What do I know about bombs? You see, our understanding is finite. It's limited. We won't always have perfect understanding as much as we want it. But you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Come on, church. I'm preaching the Bible here. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, Joseph obeyed immediately. He, pr- he probably didn't understand the full threat that was going on. To him, they're a peasant family. They just had a baby in a stable. What threat is he to, to Herod, to all these people? But God saw the bigger picture even when he didn't, and he obeyed immediately. And the second thing we see is Joseph obeyed completely. He obeyed completely. This was no small commitment. We, we read the, the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph going to uh, Bethlehem from Nazareth. That's a distance of about 60 miles. That's a, that's a good, or 90 miles. That's a good walk. That's here to Portland. That's a long ways that they had to go. But to go from Bethlehem to Egypt was a distance of over 600 miles. Round trip over 1,200 miles. And that's on foot with a young child. This was, this was not easy. Consider the, what this obedience entailed. They had a home at this point, remember? This is where the wise men visited them. So they had a house that they were living in. They, uh, uh, they, they had friends and family they didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye to or give explanation to. They were just gone in the night. They didn't know how long they would be gone. Okay, how much should I pack? How many pairs of underwear are we talking here, angel? They didn't know the amount of time, but they just said, God, you say go, we're going to go now, and we're going to obey completely to whatever distance. You see, there's times where that had to be heartbreaking to walk away from their family. To walk away from what they had, the home they had. What's going to come of it? Where are we going stepping into? And I'll tell you that there are times that it's okay to be sad after we make the right decision. They're, they're, when I drop my boys off in the morning at school, we have a, a, a times where we pray together. We'll, we pray each time, but one of the things we pray about is we say, God, give us the strength to say uh, to make the right decision even when it's not the easy decision. And so the easiest decision 
would have probably been, let's, let's look for something other than complete obedience. Joseph could have said, hey, could we move a couple cities over? Could we move out of the, just the area but kind of keep the same zip code? He's, he's looking for, he could have looked for all things, but he obeyed God completely. But how often do we try to find ways to obey God that's just enough? God, can I obey you enough? That's, am I get, getting the gist of what you're driving at, God? Can we call that good? That's what I like to do. I'm like, here's my plans. Here's your plans. Let's, let's compromise. Let's, let's see if we can blend these a little bit. But Joseph obeyed completely in taking his family 600 miles to the south, not knowing maybe even the fullness of that threat, not knowing the fullness of the time he would be there, all those things, but obeyed in completeness. And so um, there's a story in the Old Testament about a king that was named Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And God told Saul, he said, here's what I want you to do, Saul. I want you to go, and there's an enemy group called the Amalekites, and they have been a thorn in your side for a long time. You are to completely eradicate them, destroy them. They will come back and cause you to sin. They will take you away from me. So you're to go in and destroy everything. And Saul says, you got it. And he goes in and he pretty much wins the battle. He wins the war, and he starts looking around and goes, there's some pretty nice cows here. These are nice cows. But God said to destroy those cows. He says, well... Let's kill the cows, but let's keep a few of the good ones. And those horses, those are pretty nice horses. And he starts picking the best of the things, and he keeps those for himself. And Samuel comes, who's a prophet of God, and confronts him on it. He says, didn't God say to obey me completely? And, and Saul does what a lot of us did do. I pretty much did. I, I, but here's what I did. I did keep some of the best stuff, but it's for the Lord. I was going to sacrifice it for the Lord. He needs it. He needs this stuff. And that's why I disobeyed. For the good of all things. And here's what Samuel replies. Samuel replies, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. But how often do we justify our partial obedience by saying, well, God, I've compromised in other ways. God, I'm, I'm working with you on other areas. Don't you see how I've sacrificed in this area for you, Lord? Can't you give me this? But he calls us to complete obedience. And obedience is also difficult because if you, if you think about what obedience is, down, just boil it down to what it truly is, it usually means we're giving up something. It means we're, either get, we're, we're yielding something that we would hold as a right or a privilege or a possession. And so obedience is difficult because we feel like often God is being unfair with that. That's mine. That's my time. That's my thing. That's my possession. That's, that should be my privilege. And so, um, but and it feels like God's ripping it away from us. But here's, here's something we can hold on to. Sometimes blessings aren't in what God gives us, but it's actually in what God takes away. Mary and Joseph could have been really angry at what God took away. Our home, our friends, all these things. This is a step backwards for us. God, do you know where we started? We started in a barn. And we have gotten ourselves to a house. And then these wise men came and they gave us these wonderful gifts. We are on an upward trajectory. And now you're telling us to flee to a place we don't even know. People we don't speak their language for who knows how long. And they feel like God's stripping something away. But the blessing was in what God was removing. The removal of what they undoubtedly saw as their blessing or even their right was actually God's salvation. Isn't that crazy to think about? The removal of what they thought was God's blessing and maybe even their right was God's salvation. Obedience comes 
with a wonderful promise. So how many of you are ready for an upturn now? Let's, let's talk about something positive, Pastor Brent. It comes with a wonderful promise, and that's God's provision. You see, obedience is our responsibility, but the outcome then is God's. Obedience is our responsibility, but the outcome is God's. The safest place to be is where God leads you. He'll take care of the results. You see, God prepared Mary and Joseph for this moment. Did you know that? Sometimes we read this Christmas story and we don't realize how God was preparing them for this moment. How could they afford to make this sudden trip, going 600 miles to a land they had no family, friends, commonalities with, jobs, or anything else? Who had visited them just days before? Or the day before? The wise men. And what were their gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, scholars believe that the gold was most likely what, that the Magi brought was what the means was for the Holy Family to survive while they were gone for these two years living on the lamb, while they were literally living as uh, refugees in a foreign land. You see, God knew the need before the moment. And God equips those that he calls. He will equip you for what you need. Provision is how God sustains us then while we wait for that promise. Provision is how he provides for us. And so when we trust in God, when we act in obedience, he will be our resource. But sometimes we get that blessing from God and then the time comes for the requirement and obedience to release that blessing. We go, why? You gave me that. That's mine. But the resource was there for the moment, for the opportunity for obedience. Philippians 4.19, Paul's writing to the church, he says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This is an interesting chapter because this is the very same chapter where Paul talks about, I've learned to be content with little or with much. I have learned how to, 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 to thrive no matter what the season of life. And he says, in the same way, this God will supply for your every single need. Think about the obedience of Paul going out, striking out on ships that were going to be shipwrecked, going into lands where he knew people were hunting for him because he knew God was going before him. And the truth is, obedience is always worth it. Obedience is always worth it. John 13, verse 17. Jesus just finished washing the disciples' feet. He's doing a demonstration for them. He washes their feet and he says to them, Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Acting in obedience. He says, now that I've taught you those things, God is going to give you blessing for actually acting out in obedience and doing them. See, for, for Mary and Joseph, and maybe for you, you've been going down a trajectory. You feel like, God, it's so clear where you've sent me. And then there's suddenly a change. Maybe there's a change in finances. Maybe there's a change in, in calling or, or whatever it might be. And you feel like, God, you were sending me this way, but suddenly everything's changed direction. But let me tell you that redirection is not rejection. God is calling you to a specific place. God is preparing you for something that maybe you didn't even know yet. Remember we were talking about God playing that 4D chess game. He saw what Mary and Joseph were going to need far before it ever was evident. So consider the blessing God has given you and setting you up for for this season ahead. And don't ignore the signs that he's placing in front of you. Listen to his voice. So as we go into this new year, if I had one prayer, if I had one challenge to leave you with church, it's to both listen and to obey this year. I want to challenge you to listen to the voice of God. Just as Joseph was ready to hear the voice of God, whether it be in a dream, whether it be in a vision, whether it be through the voice of another person that has edified you and encouraged you and given you a word from the Lord, maybe it's something you read in His word, be ready to listen to the word of God, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Then you have to obey. Don't just 
treasure these things in your heart, but act out on them then. Take them and put them into action. What you hear from this pulpit every Sunday is not just an edifying word, but it's a call. It's a call to action. R.C. Sproul said this, it's easy to get faith into your head, but it's hard to get faith into your blood. Sometimes we hear that and we go, that's a great idea. And I'm a plethora of ideas. My wife can tell you, I've got a lot of them bouncing around up there. But when we actually get into our blood and say, now I'm going to act on the faith that I have, on the things that God has told me, I'm going to step out in obedience. That's when the faith gets into our blood. And so this year, let us be a church that hears the voice of God, pursues his voice, and then acts in obedience to it. I'm sure there was undoubtedly times for Mary and Joseph where they, they had the thrill of the moment. I, I love road trips. I like the adventures and things like that. I bet there was an initial adrenaline rush of we're on the road, we're going to go. And then about day two or three on the road, it was not as fun as day one. I imagine living months three or four in Egypt, suddenly that excitement was getting replaced with discouragement and uncertainty and fear. But God led them through that. And God will lead you through whatever he's calling you to. God will lead you through to the other side. So I believe, church, that this is going to be a year of profound blessing, of God's blessing. As we live in obedience to him. C.S. Lewis said, I believe that far better things lie ahead than any we leave behind. And I believe that, church, as we look into this next year. God has better things ahead for you as an individual and for us, New Life Church, as a church community than anything we leave behind that God is going to do profound, incredible things that lie before us. But it requires our stepping out in obedience to Him. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Father, I pray for your church today as we get ready to step out into this next season, this next year. We don't know what each day holds. Man, a couple years ago, we wouldn't have known what the year held, but you are already in it. So I pray right now, Father, above all else, whatever might happen with our stock markets and our economy and with our uh, government and anything else that may happen, I'm praying, God, that you will strengthen and deepen the love of your people and the affection that lives within us in this coming year, that it will burn within us as a fire, God, that we will chase after you like we have no other time in our lives. No matter what our age is, if we are 10 years old, if we are 100 years old, that you would fill us with a passion from God that has never existed before. That, Lord, when we have that passion ignited within us, when we hear your voice, we won't just hold it within us, but we will step out in obedience. We will be people of faith, saying, Lord, you go before me. You have seen the way, you have prepared the way, and I'm stepping out, trusting you, Jesus. And right now, we put our hand into yours, Father, and say we will obey you in immediacy. Obey you completeness, trusting that you hold all things in your hands. We thank you for it, Father, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, right now, Pastor Melissa and Ad and I are going to come forward and they're going to lead us in our connection cards. If you'll go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or use your Sunday links. This is a rhythm our whole church does together. So right now, everyone in the room, get on those cell phones or use that piece of paper in the seat backs. And on your way out, you can drop it. If you use the paper one, drop it in the offering buckets on your way out. We want to get that from you. Hello, church. Uh, so my name is, is Adonai, and this is the youth pastor, uh, Melissa. And as um, Brent said, there's a connection card on the, on the back of your guys' seats. If you just scan the links and just press it, it'll, just, it'll lead you to the Sunday links where you have the option to go to uh, the connection card, and you can fill out all the information.
motivation, there's like purpose, things like that. And I just want to say, we are, we are happy you guys are here. We love you guys. You guys are our family, our friends. And it's, it's always nice to see you guys' faces. Um, but while you guys are filling that out, I just have two simple questions to ask you just to help you guys digest what the story was about. And it, the first question is, what has God been calling you to do? What, what has he been telling you and, and, and calling you guys to, to do? Either it's, I don't know, giving more. I know that's been a, a season of my life. It's just to, to be giving a ton more of, of my finances, my time, just my relationships, like just a ton of things. Um, and then the second question is, is how, how are you going to do that? Let's bring in the new year together. Let's sing this out. <laughs> 